Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse number 4, the Apostle Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, I count a lot things but loss for the excellency of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be not found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Father, I pray uh, for each and every person that's out this way. Lord, I pray that your word would come and find a lodging place in our hearts and help us uh, to live more like you. Father, I pray that you'd meet with us now. Give us that strength and boldness, Lord God. Help me, dear God. Forgive me of my sins. As I stand behind this desk, help me to preach with your anointing as I can do nothing on my own. Touch every heart. Save that sinner nearest hell. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started uh, looking at a series of messages titled The Absolutes of the Christian Attitude. Things that, that are required in the heart of a Christian in order for us to be able to be used by God, to be successful by God. And Paul points out four distinct chapters, four specific chapters that deal with a different attitude. Now Philippians 3 uh, deals with Paul's attitude toward daily living. As we looked last week in verses 1 through 3, it was an attitude of devotion. As we looked this morning in verses 4 down through verse number 9, it was an attitude of declaration. Now in the church of Philippi, there were certain men false teachers that were coming in behind Paul and what they were doing is they were trying to teach uh, the church that they were trying to teach the Gentiles that had been saved that in order to either be saved or to continue to be saved that they had to be a part, they had to follow uh, the Jewish law, that they had to be yoked up under those commandments under that law there uh, that the Jews themselves could not hold there. Paul referred to these men as evil workers there. It is a term uh, that... that um, it was a term that, that gives reference to uh, any person who holds on to the law or, to, or holds on to their own works for righteousness. He said that they were evil workers there describing the fact that our works in the sight of God are unrighteousness. Our works, Isaiah 64 and verse number 6 is our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before Him. What he was saying is those works were considered evil in the sight of God. They could never save a person. And anyone that tried to put you under the bondage of that law was just as evil. Now, Paul goes in here in this deck Declaration. And in order to refute what these false teachers were saying here, Paul goes in and he gives three uh, incredible examples that prove beyond the shadow of any doubt that salvation rests wholly in our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ and not in any of our own works there. Now, uh, Paul goes on to talk about, first of all, in verses 4 through 6 there, he talks about a past confidence. Now, I want you to picture this for just a minute. Imagine if you, were, uh, if you were in a courtroom and you were watching a lawyer work there and that lawyer was building their case there, building and, and, and presenting that case there. Imagine that lawyer pulling out all the pieces of evidence they had as to why their client was innocent or as to why uh, that, that person was guilty, whatever the case there, laying all those pieces of evidence out and pointing them out one by one. What Paul is doing here is he comes and he gives seven different reasons there. And he said, if these people have confidence in the flesh there, 
if they're trusting in their own ability to save themselves, he said, then I can do it more there. He said, if they're coming and they're telling you that they're righteous by their own works, he said, then I'm more righteous. Now again, he's speaking there and showing them that this is impossible. But seven things he talks about, seven confidences. Four deal with uh, confidence that he received uh, from birth there. Four deal with things, uh, privileges that he had from being born as to where he was and to who he was born to. And three deal with uh, confidence that are belonging there. Noticing first there, we see a confidence there uh, that came from his birth there. uh, Four things there again. He says, circumcised the eighth day. This was a term there that was used there to show that he was an adherence. He was fully following uh, the, the, the Mosaic law, the, the Hebrew law there. He, he followed it completely even from his birth there. This was uh, the command that was given uh, to Abraham at first with the Abrahamic covenant was given by the Mosaic law that all Hebrew children had to be circumcised that eighth day. Paul is saying, listen, I started out under the law. I've kept the law as far as the law is concerned, as far as works are concerned. I started from birth and I've kept it all the way through there. Talking about uh, that, that circumcised the eighth day. He said, of the stock of Israel. To understand what he is talking about when he says that he is a Jew, that he is born of the stock of Israel, we look at a section of scripture there in Romans four, excuse me, Romans nine, verses four and five there, and he says, Paul, the writer of Romans, also says, "Who are Israelites, or who do Jews there?" To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and whom are as concerning the flesh, Christ came who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Paul gives a mouthful as to what it means physically to be a Jew compared to being any other nation there. He says there, who pertaineth the adoption. That term adoption there means that they were adopted, they were brought out. What it's referring to is the Abrahamic covenant. They were brought out. God came to Abraham, we know that in Genesis 12, and called him out specifically out of all of the others, out of Ur of the Chaldees. Prior to that time, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, God deals with the entire world as a whole there. But when we get to Genesis 12, God calls this man Abraham out and literally, as we think of the term there, adopts him as part of his family there and sets him apart from all the rest. He says it's pertaining to the adoption there. He says next is the glory there. Friends, that glory is talking about what we refer to in the Old Testament as the Shekinah glory of God there. It is a visible manifestation of the glory of God. No other nation has ever seen it. Moses saw it on the mount there. Solomon and the priests there. That's what filled the temple when they dedicated uh, that uh, temple or when they dedicated Solomon's temple. That's what filled it so much so that the priests could not come in and minister. That was the cloud that led in Israel by day and the fire that guided them by night there. That was that visible manifestation of God's glory. No other has ever seen that. Uh, No other nation has ever been given that privilege there. That belongs only to Israel. It goes on to say there not only the glory and the covenants there, but it goes on excuse me, not only the glory and the adoption but the covenants there, the contracts that God has between Israel and, and, uh, and Himself there. Those covenants, those contracts that He made solely between them and Himself himself there no other nation involved there he goes on to talk about the law there the ten commandments given to israel there and no other nation given to moses when he was on mount sinai he goes on to talk about the uh, the priesthood there the services there again nobody else if you were not a jew if you could not uh, show your pedigree there uh, show the fact that you came from the tribe of levi you were not allowed to minister in the book of ezra uh, when they had come back there and the temple was being reestablished. even those that were jews and that were priests if they 
they could not produce that genealogy, if they could not produce that pedigree that proved it, they weren't even allowed back into the priesthood, friends, that belonged to God's people alone there. He goes on to talk about the promises there, friends. Not only past promises, but future that we still have belonged under the nation of Israel. One day, they will own the land of Canaan. One day, God will gather them from all the corners of the earth. One day, God will bring back His scattered people and establish them and give them that which was promised under the Abrahamic covenant. They've not yet attained that, but one day they will. Friends, it talks about not only the promises, but the patriarchs there. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Men like David and Noah and Moses. All those men again belonged only to the tribe of Israel. And after that, he goes on to talk about uh, the, the best thing about Israel. He said, concerning the flesh whom Christ came. Talking about the fact that, that Jesus' nationality was that of a Jew. He's talking about all these promises that obtain only to the Israelites. Friends, we're talking about some bragging rights here as far as the flesh is concerned. He goes on to talk about uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know anything about the twelve tribes of Israel, Benjamin was one of the beloved sons of Rachel. Benjamin was the only brother that did not uh, uh, participate in the betrayal of Joseph. Benjamin was the one who stayed with the southern tribe of Judah when there was rebellion in Israel there. That was a beloved nation there. Benjamin, uh, their city limits went inside the holy city there. They were a beloved people there. He said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Saul there uh, came from Benjamin. He looks there, he said, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What he is saying there is he was a pure Jew. By birth alone, completely separate of anything Paul earned, by birth alone, if we're talking about somebody that could glory in the flesh, that could brag in the flesh, Paul had it above and beyond anybody else. These Judaizers that were coming, these ones, uh, these legalists that were coming in and trying to pervert the false teachers that were trying to tell people you had to live under the law, none of them could claim those same birthrights as Paul. None of them was anywhere near as pure as Paul was. And he's saying, listen, if they're going to come in and tell you you have to stick to the law, make sure they can at least add up. Make sure they can measure up. Not only does he talk about the confidence that came from, the, from his birth, but he talks about the confidence that came from his belonging in verses 5 and 6 there. Uh, we read those same verses. It says, as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless there. He says, as touching the law of Pharisee. That meant that he was the religious and social elite in Israel. He was the one, if you think about, we've got that phrase there, the one percenters. The rich, the affluent, the, the famous there. Paul would have been one of those that stood out when he walked in the streets of Israel as a Pharisee. He would have been one that was recognized. He would have been one that was revered. They would have looked at him and said, that's Saul of Tarsus, we know him. As touching the law of Pharisee, he says concerning zeal, persecuting the church, he gives reference to that in Galatians 1 and verses 14 and 15 there. Uh, speaking, he says... And, Excuse me, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who has separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, there. Uh, in verse 13, he goes on and says, For ye have heard the conversation, his lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. 
He's talking about zeal there as, as a, uh, that, that mark there, what set him aside in, in Paul's eyes, excuse me, in Saul's eyes before he was converted there. This is what showed his absolute adoration for God. This is what showed his devotion to God and that he persecuted uh, anybody that went against the law, anybody that went against uh, uh, their former way of doing it, anybody that went against uh, the Old Testament way there, he would stand and he would persecute them with all his heart. J. Vernon McGee, in speaking about uh, Saul of Tarsus, he said the Christian uh, Christ himself had no greater enemy than this man Paul. He was unsatisfied with just driving people out of, of Jerusalem. He was unsatisfied with just chasing the church away. He came there when he was converted on the road to Damascus. He had warrants in his hand that he could arrest anybody that called upon the name of Jesus, imprison them, and have them killed their friends. He hated the cause of Christ with a great passion. Now he's using all this, follow with me for just a minute. He's saying all these things to show how vain trusting in the flesh is. He goes on to say, as far as touching the, uh, the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Now in the eyes of, of a religious man, this was the absolute pinnacle. This was the peak of spiritual accomplishment. What he was saying is as far as the law went, as far as the Ten Commandments in his eyes and in the eyes of moral man, he was blameless. What he meant there was that he was so religious that he followed that law down to an exact T. He followed that law every single jot, every tittle, every, uh, every dot. He crossed every T, dotted every I. He said, I did every bit of it. Now, if any person had the right to have any confidence uh, to, uh, to, to brag on themselves, it was this man, Paul. He was, the, he was set apart from most anybody else. There were very few people that could claim the claims of Paul there. This was absolutely, uh, if you look at this, was a true Jew all the way through. He, he was absolutely 100% uh, uh, set apart as far as God's people. But he goes on to say, he talks about that past confidence, but he goes on to give a present condemnation. Look at verses 7 and 8 there. He goes on to talk about all the things that he counted as former gains have now become lost there. In verse 7 and 8, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." Now, in order for us to understand this, in order for us to comprehend what Paul is talking about as far as loss, we have to see, first of all, what Paul willingly gave up. I want you to notice, we see there the fullness of that loss there in the first part, in verse 7, the first part of verse 8 there. He uses the phrase, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. It was a loss there of status. The word loss means confiscation. It was taken from him. Talks about the loss of his status there. In, in Acts 23 and verse number 6, Paul says, I am the son of a Pharisee. He said, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee there. Now, get a hold of this for just a minute. Okay? Paul is not just a Pharisee. But as most Bible scholars will tell you, Paul studied under the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a, a Jewish teacher there. He was considered one of the three most authorities in all of Israel. You had uh, this man uh, Gamaliel, you had Nicodemus who was another, and then there's a third that is uh, said to be unnamed, but one of the three most authorities as far as the Jewish law. 
Paul studied directly under this man. Some, uh, some scholars believe he was going to be the, uh, the predecessor, the one that followed behind this Gamaliel there as far as a Pharisee goes. Paul's dad was a Pharisee there. Friends, he, he was a part of a very uh, religious elite company of people. And when he got saved, not only becoming a Christian, but going to the Gentiles, going out to the Gentiles, uh, his family would have looked at him as an absolute apostate. This was the worst disgrace that you could bring on your family. Not only would he be excommunicated from his family, not only would he be cut off and considered as good as dead uh, as from his family there, but uh, they would have become, uh, these would have been the leading forces, would have become the greatest enemy that Paul had to face. So his own family, he would not be welcome in his own home. He would not be uh, allowed to hold that status anymore. He would lose their, uh, that place as that Pharisee there and he would be persecuted even by his own family simply for becoming a Christian and going out and, and preaching to the Gentiles. Friends, it cost him dearly to follow after God. It cost him dearly to surrender his life to Christ. There. He would be considered as good as dead. Friends, Orthodox Jews today even in today's day and time, when a family member gets saved and is baptized, that family will actually go so far as to perform a funeral. And that person is dead to them. It costs them a great amount. Paul here is giving up his family there. He is giving up that security. He's giving up that status. Remember, prior to this, Paul would have been able to walk down the street and been revered by anyone. They would have praised Him. They would have looked at Him. And they would have known Him. They would have said, that's Saul of Tarsus. That's the one who's uh, he's right there with Gamaliel. He's one of the elite there. And yet He willingly gave up that status to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I count it but loss. Not only the status there, but the loss of His stability. In Acts 22 and verse number 28, Paul goes on to say that he was a Roman citizen. And he tells the man that he was a Roman citizen by birth. Not only was he a Roman citizen, but he was from the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was a very wealthy commercial city. What Paul is saying here, being a citizen by birth, a Roman citizen by birth, and also from the city of Tarsus, what he is saying is that his family was not only a very, affluent, a very powerful family, influential family, but a very wealthy family. Paul, no doubt Paul came from uh, very good means. I'll put it to you that way. He would have been very wealthy. In giving up and following Christ, he lost every bit of his family. He lost that fame walking up and down the road. And he lost that fortune that would have been inherited unto him. He willingly gave those things up. Now he takes it a step further because you don't see him complaining about that. You don't see him saying, oh, uh, uh, this book of Philippians, remember, was written when he was in prison. Okay, He's in a dungeon. This was a man that at one time would have been, uh, religiously speaking, would have been a rock star walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Had, uh, again, had money waiting on him, had inheritance waiting on him, had, had, had all those, had prestige, had, had a position. Friends, there's some people in the church, the only reason they serve is for prestige. And Paul said, I'm willing to give it up. There's some people, the only reason they do anything for God is for money. The fame that comes with it. And Paul said, I'm willing to let every bit of it go. Amen. Willing to, to let those things go, friends. He, he said, I suffered the, I willingly suffered the loss of all things. Again, that, that word meaning confiscation. He, he, he suffered the loss of his fortune. He suffered the loss of his family. Uh, we see that the fullness of that loss, everything he knew before was gone. 
we see also the futility of that loss there. He goes on to say in the second part, of verse number 7 saying, I counted loss for Christ, yea doubtless, and I count all things but loss there, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Follow with me just a couple minutes, and we'll close out there. The word count, the word counted there in verse number 7, it's, it's in what's called the perfect tense in the Greek. What that means, and put it in, in perspective, what that means what it is saying there is Paul said he counted it one time. He weighed it out. He, he, he uh, compared it. He looked at all the, the ups and the downs and he weighed it all out and he, he came to the conclusion. He counted it out on the road to Damascus when God came to him. And he counted those things that were his former confidence. He said they're but loss. Counted it out on that Damascus road and continually counted it every day. Now he takes it a step further in verse number 8 because the word count in verse number 8 is in the present Greek tense. And what that means is what those thi- the things that he bragged on, those seven things we talked about that he bragged on before uh, from his birth and from his belonging there. Now he, he brings them in and he says all things, everything that I could possibly gain. Everything that I could possibly have from an earthly standpoint, all of it is lost. He said, I count it but dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord there. Uh, that, that word dung there, it, it, it's a simple word. It means refuse there. It's a combination of two Greek words and it literally means to cast out to the dogs. He's saying all those things, I would throw it by the wayside. I count it as refuse, as waste. Friends, the sad thing is many folks today serve with those things in mind. They serve looking for prestige, looking for position, looking for wealth, looking for the praise of man, looking for the adoration. They can't do anything unless they're going to get cheers about it, unless they're going to get praise from it. Paul said, I count them but waste. They're not even worth it to me. Boy, that ought to cause us to check our motives as to why we do what we do. If it's anything more than for the praise of Christ, it is outside of the will of God. If it is ever for someone to look at us and to see us, then we are outside of the will of God. He said, I count those things but loss, but dung, but waste for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said that I may win Christ. Now we'll look at that tonight when we come back. Then with I may win Christ, we'll look at that phrase and what that means. But it's amazing to me. They says, I count them but lost. There, there's an old story about a hog and a hen. I want to read it to you. So the, the, there was a hog and a hen and they were discussing a, a food drive. They were discussing a, a food drive that was going to be uh, held there. And the hen said, you know, I, I've got it. I'll, I'll figure out how we can contribute. He said, what we'll do is we'll provide the bacon and the eggs for that food drive and we'll feed everybody from it. And the hog looked at him and said, well, there's a problem with your plan. There's only one problem with it. He said, with you, uh, all it requires is a contribution. The eggs are just a contribution from you. He says, but with me, it means a total commitment. That bacon meant giving his life. Friends, there are many folks today who look at Christianity and the reason, right? I, I, we were talking about in prayer room, right? I look around in the world today and what's going on outside does not bother me as much. You say, preacher, why is that? Because they're lost. They're going to live like they're lost. They're no, they, they don't know any better. What bothers me is what goes on inside of the church house. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, talking, I'm not saying Northside Baptist Church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. What bothers me when we look at this is we have come to a day and time 
where people no longer have a devotion to Christ. We are not willing to pay any cost when it comes to serving God. We're good as long as God, I'll come to church as long as you don't ask me to do anything. God, I'll give as long as it doesn't tax me. God, I've got a little bit of time I do. Friends, God is not looking for your leftovers. He wants your best today. Paul said all those things all the prestige, all the praise, all the, uh, the wealth, all the, the acceptance, all the, uh, the higher ups. He said it's lost, it's waste. Why? He said, so that I can have Christ. Amen. We will pick up the rest of this message tonight, but friends, I want to ask you as we close with this. Amen. What is it that drives you in life today? What is it that matters the most to you today? Is it a paycheck? Is it a position? Is it prestige? Is it the praise of man? Or is it Christ? Do you have... Let me, let me rephrase that. Do you hold that relationship with Jesus above everything else in this world? If not, friends, if God is not first and foremost, then we are outside of His will. He's got to have our best. And friends, I promise you, if you want to do something great for God, give Him your best. You give God your best, you will affect and you will influence more people than you ever could by standing up and preaching or singing or having anybody that stare at you uh, or performing any type of miracle. You will, you will influence more people for the cause of Christ simply by letting God have His free will in your life. Amen. Simply by saying, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. Simply by saying, Lord, I love you more than anything in the world, and my life is yours. What drives you today? Are you worried about what people think about you? Are you worried about how accepted you are? Are you worried about your popularity? Or are you worried about Christ? Because I can tell you one thing only Christ is going to last for eternity. Only what we do for Him is going to last for eternity. The rest is going to be burned up. It's going to fall by the wayside. What we hold is important today. Friends, what we hold is as prized today will be absolute waste when we stand before a holy God. What is it that drives you today? What is it that What are we bragging on? Is it us or is it Christ? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed.